about our life as women is that we can start to enjoy ourselves and laugh at ourselves, with ourselves, hopefully in a nice way, right? So our next topic is about my relationship with myself, right? So that's the person I'm talking to all the time. And so it would be really good if I had a really good relationship with the person that I'm very aware of everything that I'm doing, right? So I'm going to have us do an experiential exercise to start. And we're going to close our eyes and open our hands to receive. And we just want to ask Father God, to show us what he says about us. And so I'm going to have you picture his love and use your imagination. God gave us imagination for a reason. A lot of people are like, is that my imagination or is that God? Go with it. And so, Lord, we just receive that you like us. So many times we hear that you love us, almost like, you know, you have to love us. But, God, you enjoy us. We are your delight. And God, I pray that every woman would know that she knows that she knows that she knows that she's your favorite. That part of being a Christian means your favor is over our life. And the root of favorite is favor. And so God, we just receive that we are your favorite. And I ask that each woman would picture a waterfall of unconditional love just washing over us. And we fling wide those gates in our heart and just receive it. We don't have to be worthy. We don't have to earn it or deserve it. We don't have to do the right things. You're just good and you just want to pour out your love. So I choose to receive more, God. I choose to receive that you like me when I least deserve it. That you're cheering us on. That you're for us. That you're with us. And your spirit's hovering over us, breathing life and leading us into all truth, especially the truth about the way that we see ourselves. So in the stillness of your heart, I'll have you ask the Lord if there's any self-rejection, self-criticism, self-hatred, feeling unworthy, feeling less than, easily to catch yourself, comparing yourself to someone else, easily intimidated. And if there is, I would love to invite you to picture God smiling. And just saying, Papa, I come out of agreement with that old lie. It's not true. You say that I am worthy. You say that you'll never leave me. You say that you'll never reject me. But you are the God who accepts me. in our hearts just allow that love to fill you up any walls any resistance that would try to come try to picture that waterfall just rushing over it and you just lay down and just receive
I have you picture that Jesus puts you in a beautiful gown. He might put a crown on your head. He might put a sash like a beauty queen over your shoulder. Just allowing yourself to be adorned with beauty. Many of us have come through ashes. Many of us have come through heartbreak and the fire and tough times and wilderness. So today, let's just take a break and let him beautify us and trade beauty from ashes. Use your imagination and just let him beautify you in your mind's eye. I'll have you picture that he leads you to a banquet table. And using your imagination and your heart's desires, all your favorite foods and drinks, everything that you love. And you see, it's all set and it's beautiful and it's all ready. And maybe you kind of creep up to the table just looking at it, peering. And this amazing Jesus pulls out the head of the table chair and he invites you and you realize he came to celebrate you. This whole banquet is just for you and that you're special to him. Allow your heart to just receive out of the abundance of God's goodness, the banquet table of more than enough. And I'll have you repeat out loud after me. We'll all do it together. A couple words. Jesus, you like me. Just the way that I am. You think I sparkle. You think I'm pretty and smart and capable. And with you, we can do anything. You've got my back and you're holding my hand. You call me special. You have eyes just for me. I receive that truth today. And I open that door to you of experiencing myself as your favorite. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> so part of being a human is that we have head knowledge and we have heart knowledge. And so kind of what I talked about last night is we have a lot of head knowledge of God likes us, he loves us, you know, all those things. But what can happen is I call them belief antibodies. If I have head knowledge of something, but I don't experience it as my reality, the next time I hear it, my brain kicks in what's called a heuristic, meaning it shorts, shortcuts going, oh, I already know that. And I don't actually let it penetrate to the deep places of my heart. My brain works on efficiency. So anything that's new, it's like, ooh, captive attention. But if it's not, and if it's something I've heard before, like John 3.16, he loves us, we can all quote that, right? But yeah, how many of us don't live experiencing God loves me? 
We know it here, but the next time I hear it, it's like, yep, I know that. Yep, I can preach a sermon. Yep, I can tell you all day long, and I can tell myself all day long. But yet in my life, I'm not living like Jesus loves me, right? So that means the next time my brain hears that, it's like this belief antibody kind of covers it, kind of like if you get um, a shot and they want to make sure you don't get sick. You get enough of it, a little bit of a dose, so that your body creates immune system to it. So the next time you're exposed to it, your body's like, oh, I already know that, and it closes it off, right? Our head does the same thing. So anything that you want breakthrough in, head knowledge alone is not going to do it. It's the marrying of all of us experiencing it. And so if we need more of Jesus' love, then that means I need to do things to incorporate that feeling into my life. And he did give us an imagination for our benefit. He was kind of smart, right? So when God said, come to me like little children, isn't it neat that children have very active imaginations? They don't come with, oh, but I'm not worthy to receive that hug. It's like, you love me. You know, like a baby can be pooping and still think you want to hug them right then. Like they only know approval. Like how precious for us to be like little children where it's like, you love me. But somewhere along the line, the enemy starts putting in lies and then we unknowingly open the door to those lies. So we can't always blame the enemy, right? Like I have to steward what doors and what beliefs I hang in, you know, hang on to. And so along the way, we need to slow down and go, Lord, I think at a head knowledge, I know that you love me. I know that you say that I'm important. I'm a child of God, all that stuff. That's great. But daddy, I don't live like it sometimes. You know, there's sometimes that I don't feel your presence. I don't feel secure. And so, Lord, I ask for that experience. And so I might use my imagination. I might also look for metaphors. One of the things the Lord loves to do is use parables, even in our daily lives. So the way that I found out that I was a diamond is God used a parable in my life the hard way of uh, my mom had a very big diamond in her ring, and she accidentally had lost it on a vacation. Fortunately, she found it and put it in a napkin and brought it home safe and sound, put it on her vanity. So me, coming, sweet daughter, to come visit my family, I'm going to go clean my mom's house because her love language is acts of service, right? And so I'm like, you're so going to love me right now. So I'm cleaning her house, and a couple days later, she's like, Shannon, did you ever see a napkin on my vanity with, like, you know, very large diamond? Um, I saw a napkin, but I didn't see a diamond. Yeah, I threw away her uh, very expensive diamond, and she still calls me her own. She hasn't disowned me, so we're still we're still good. But one of the things the Lord showed me is that a diamond is a diamond is a diamond. And no matter whether that diamond is showcased in a ring the way it was intended to be, or if that diamond is now in a trash heap somewhere in garbage land, that diamond is still a diamond. And so when the Lord looks at us, if we're really made in his create, you know, his image, if we're really all those things that he says, he's looking at each one of us and he's going, I love you. And his heart melts. He likes us. Jesus didn't come because he's like, oh man, these people can't get their act together. (laughs) I have to go do it. That's not Jesus's heart, right? Jesus is like, oh man, I love my bride. 
I can't wait for my fiance. Like he's preparing this whole bridal ceremony because he's in love with us. He loves us. Yes, here we know that, but we don't live like it, right? So we need to know that we know that we know that we're drenched in the love of Jesus, that we've been set apart. And even if we never follow him, even if we never take him up on it, he still says we're a diamond. We still have inerrant value that is precious. And one of the things I believe through intercession is one time I was praying and I felt like the Lord was like in his heart, all of us are like little fingerprints, right? We're all a different aspect of his nature. And so my little nature is supposed to love a part of his heart that nobody else can love. They love all those other parts of his heart, but your heart loves him in that spot that nobody else can love. So when his heart isn't getting loved by that person, it aches. He misses us. He desires us. He wants relationship with us. He thinks we're pretty and sparkly and important and valuable. We are his diamonds. And no matter what the enemy says, no matter what magazine says, no matter what our parents or people at school or, you know, whoever has told us or we've just told ourselves for years, God says those are my girls and I love them. And so it's our choice as stewards to say, yeah, yeah, I'm going to open the door to that love. I'm going to receive that. I'm going to live like that's true. And that's like me coming into agreement and letting myself be showcased. Same girl. I used to walk around like this, right? I mean, really low self-esteem, self-hatred, self-rejection, everything. Same person. But somehow when I got a revelation of, no, he really loves me, he really likes me, I can't help but sparkle, right? I can't help but share the hope that lies within. And I start to sparkle. I start to shine because he likes me. I know I have approval all the time. I cannot lose his approval. He likes me. He likes me. He likes me. And he likes me. Sometimes he looks at my choices and he's like, you know, he's going, that's not the best choice, but it's not who I am. It's a behavior and a choice. It's kind of like I'm going, no, I'm going to jump out of that ring and I'm going to go live in the trash dump. And his heart aches and I'm choosing to come away from him, but he's not distant, right? He's still holding the ring out going, sweet pea, this is what I say about you. I'd love for you to be, you know, showcased the way I intended. I have specific purposes for your life. So part of our relationship with God is determining our relationship with ourself. So how God sees me, how I see God is going to determine how I talk to myself. My self-talk used to be very mean. I was very critical. I was very aware of everything I did wrong. Very perfectionistic, very rule follower, very, you know, good, very good. I was the good girl. I did all my kind of bad things and then I would feel shame and condemned. But in my self-talk, I was like a bully or a dictator. I wasn't a very helpful (laughs) coach. So then the Lord started talking to me about, well, what do you know about positive psychology? In the coaching realm, if you had a coach who was like, come on, get up. What's wrong with you? Come on. Seriously. What's wrong with you? God, you're such an idiot. That would be kind of rough, right? We would know in sports psychology that that athlete probably would not perform well. They may perform, but they're going to be so afraid of failure. Fear, which is now a door. Fear of loss of approval. 
fear of messing up, fear of failure, all of those things are now doors that are open where the enemy's like, yes, she just opened that door to me again. Thank you. So when I come into agreement with self-rejection, self-criticism, being harsh on myself, being mean, all of that is self turning against itself. And there's research that talks about how much toxicity that leaves in your body and how that can actually affect mood, hormones, and health-related issues, not to mention, of course, your other relationships, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? So what I'm filling myself with, which we talked about last night, about 1,600 words a day, like if I'm filling myself with you're messing up, you're not measuring up, what's wrong with you, why aren't you a better Christian, why aren't you a better mom or sister or daughter or gosh, what's, you know, if I'm hearing that all day, that tape in my head all day long, yes, Lord, (laughs) Um, then that's what's going to be the abundance out of my heart. You know, it's going to be easier to be critical. It's going to be easier to be judgmental with other people, if that's what I'm experiencing on the inside. It's easier to be very like, no, you need to do it this way, because that's what I'm hearing inside all the time. If I'm filling myself with a certain tape, I can't help but it come out. And a lot of people say, oh, I can give grace and I can love other people. It's my self-relationship where there's a lot of rejection. And so I would say that maybe you can love them. That's fine. But maybe you're not receiving love back when they try to give it. Because if I won't give it to me, then I've created a wall. A door has been shut. And I'm not allowing myself to receive an experience. Right? In our relationship with God, relationship with people. There's a verse that says you can't say you love God, but then hate your neighbor. Right? So our relationships here do impact our relationship here. If I am out of alignment here, that's going to impact here. So if I have hate and contention and strife and jealousy and pride and hypocrisy and all kinds of humanness, then that's going to affect my ability to just receive pure love and water, sweet, good things, because now I've filled my heart with so much other stuff. You know, kind of like the seed that we have, the wheat and the tares, That God's like, I love you. And I hear that on Sunday and I'm like, oh man, that message felt really good. But then we walk away. You're an idiot. What's wrong with you? Gosh, you don't measure up, blah, blah, blah. I'm just pouring in the tears, you know? And God's wheat doesn't feel as true. It's kind of like it's choking it out. So we have to come into agreement with a mindset that every day I walk in agreement with what God says about me. We agree. (laughs) So as I'm thinking through this, I'm going, Holy Spirit, show me what does my self-talk sound like? And if I were to picture it, a lot of times the real us on the inside is kind of like a little girl. Like it's really sweet and it's really vulnerable and nice. And so if this little girl is only hearing the negative, what she's doing wrong, she's not measuring up, or she's not getting any feedback, and you're always looking to other people to tell you how you're doing. Okay, I got approval. Okay, you like me? Okay, uh uh-huh. Then I'm okay. You know, it's a very insecure feeling, a very small feeling. You don't feel confident. 
right? Because we're going to at some point come into our identity where we say the truth in love, where we have boldness and courage and we advance the kingdom of God when our culture really isn't going to like it. We're going to have to be the people who hold the standard at certain points where everybody else is going to go, that's not politically correct. That's not nice. You know, be a lady, do it the nice way. And it's like, yeah, be a lady, but you also are an ambassador of the kingdom of God and he's entrusted the kingdom to us. We're not inferior citizens as women. We are children of God. And so we need to know the boldness. We need to know the identity because I cannot go into bold, you know, fear of rejection and people not liking me and all that. If I don't first know that he likes me, that I am a hundred percent approved because I'm going to get real sensitive to other people's feedback. And at first I might get go gangbusters if I have a whole bunch of other Christians with me. But eventually if it's just me, like I worked at a, a very atheist university and my supervisor was, he had several religions, but one was Satanism, atheism, Mormonism, and then he had a sermon on the Mount from Jesus. So he was kind of like a little smorgasbord of a whole lot of stuff. And that was my direct supervisor coming out of Christian bubble. I've only had Christian psychology versions in my head. And so knowing I'm the only Christian there and I'm on an island in Hawaii by myself where I have no church, no community, no Christian, I am all by myself. And will I stand for God there? If I don't know who I am with Christ, I'm going to be real susceptible to looking to other people to tell me I'm okay. So when they asked me, Shannon, will you wear this? Well, they didn't ask me. They said, Shannon, you're going to wear this shirt that says, I kissed a boy and a girl and I liked it. And you're going to march in the gay parade to represent our office. And I said, oh, oh, well, um, oh, you know, so I thought God was like going to rescue me and there would be this like out. And they're like, no, don't worry. We already cleared your schedule. Everything's great. We cleared with your supervisor. Nope. You're perfect. And I'm like, oh, um, I don't know if I'm comfortable doing that. And they really didn't like me after that point. So that made my year much harder. Yeah. All by myself in Hawaii, only Christian. So when we come to the place of really recognizing who am I in Christ, and if the matter's already settled and he said he likes me and I believe him, it doesn't weigh as much. Sure, our feelings get hurt. Sure, it's always painful. Those things happen. But it doesn't devastate and take us out, right? It doesn't cause my whole city to go on fire and I'm like, oh my gosh, I just want to leave Hawaii and go home. They're so mean to me here. I could have, right? But then that would have halted the destiny on my life because in order to get your doctorate, you have to do it in a certain time frame. It's almost a miracle to even get an internship. So I could have, they're being mean to me. This isn't fair. I don't like this. Or I could go, okay, God, you believe that I'm prepared and equipped and that we can do this. So I'm going to submit to this season. Ouch. But let's do it. And it was hard. And I went on prayer walks and I, you know, marched in my office when I was by myself between clients. Like I had to do everything I could to steward my city in a way that I was, you know, breathing because I have to so know who I am on the inside that everybody else is an abundance to my life, not the need of my life. Because when God takes things, when they're pruned, and that was also, by the way, the same time that guy broke up, well, he didn't break up, he I found out he was with multiple other girls all at the exact same time. It was like the perfect storm. 
So I was grieving, my heart breaking. I thought I was getting married. We we're going into ministry, all these great things. And I'm all by myself, all alone. And I couldn't meet anybody. It was like three months, literally by myself. So in those moments, we're all going to have them. <laughs> but you can prepare now so that they can actually be really sweet times. By the time I finally got over being all heartbroken and stuff and got my head back, I actually really enjoyed it. And that's where I fell in love with Jesus as my best friend and my boyfriend and different areas that I hadn't explored with him before. So when everything else is stripped away and I'm in a wilderness season, in Song of Solomon it talks about the beloved and she's laying her head on the chest of her beloved. That Jesus really is enough. Yes, we love our girlfriends. Yes, we love all these good things in this life. And I praise God for them. But at the beginning of my day, I need to know that I know that I know that he likes me. I'm his favorite. And when I have that confidence of my father's approval, other people's opinions don't matter as much. You know, hurts our feelings, sure. But it doesn't take me out. But if I don't know, I'm really vulnerable to the opinions of others. And I'm less likely to take risk when God's going, you're a Jericho, you know, blaster. You're going out. You're doing this. I'm proud of you. I've designed you for great things. If I don't take those risks, he's like, okay, you know, I love you. I'm right here with you. We're going to do our life, but I have more. I'd love to take you on more adventures. I'd love for you to risk in this other area. I don't know, Lord, I don't know. What are they going to say? What are they going to think about me? Well, they're probably not going to like you sometimes. Yeah, that's true. Sometimes they're going to love you. And it even says in scriptures that we're even tested by the praise of men, right? So people can praise you and they can think you're the best and you can be like, oh my gosh, I don't struggle with people pleasing at all (laughs) until they stop liking me. And now all of a sudden I'm tested going, Oh, wow. When that's gone, when I say something they don't like, oh, where does that, you know, yay, everybody likes you go, you know? Kind of like in Proverbs, it also talks about a rich man. You know, when I'm the person who's always giving and always doing whatever, when those people go away, am I still okay at the end of the day? If not, then that's an area the Lord would love to invite you into fellowship. And my hope is we do it proactively, that we don't wait until whatever seasons that may or may not come in our lives, but that we get to live in abundance every day, that we have a best friend who likes us every day. Every day can be an adventure. I remember one day um, when in Hawaii, wow, using a lot of stories from there today, um, I was on my own, had nothing to do that day. It was my one day off of work. And so I was like, okay, Holy Spirit, friend date, where would you like to go? So I'm driving, there's a bunch of roadblocks, and I'm like, oh, well, I guess I'm turning around. And so I just drove, and I would listen to, like, teachings, which is another thing I would say is very important. When you're in a a particular season, surround yourself with good influence. There is nothing you need more than other people to be your errands to lift up your arms. At that time, I didn't have physical people, so I got Graham Cook, and I got a bunch of other teachings, and I just listened like it was my job. Because my arms were weak and I was tired and I needed somebody to lift up my arms. So I listened to encouragement all the time. Side note. So I'm driving, listening to my little teachings, having a great time, just embracing with my imagination, the Holy Spirit just being there, Jesus holding my hand. And we meander and I get lost and I'm somewhere in the middle of the island 
And I drive up, and it's like this country club. And it's like swanky. And so I'm like, oh, they're going to totally notice. Because I was going to the beach that day. So I had, like, scrub clothes on. And I was like, um, well, the the guard at the gate, he's not there. So I just kind of kept driving, and no one stopped me. And so then I parked, and there's nobody there. And so I was kind of like, oh, let's keep walking in. Holy Spirit, just keep leading me. I don't know what we're doing. And so I walk in, and this man lights up, and he rushes over to me. And he's like, oh! You're my three o'clock. And I'm like, what? He's like, oh, you're the bride I've been waiting for. I am so excited to show you around. We've been waiting for you. And he is just lighting up and he's so excited. He's talking a mile a minute and I'm still standing there going, huh? <laughs> I have like a beach clothes on. <laughs> I don't look like a bride. And he's like, yes. And so he's giving me the tour and he's like, um, so when are you getting married? And one of my jokes is I always say, well, we haven't set the date yet. <laughs> um, and so I was like, well, you know, he, we haven't set the date and blah, blah, blah. He didn't ask specifics about the guy, fortunately, so I didn't actually lie. I just kind of stood and followed him wherever he led, and he was showing me around for the wedding venue. And so I'm, like, having this little adventure with him. It's just kind of funny. And I'm like, God, what is this about? Because I knew enough to know I wasn't in a season that it was about a physical marriage, right? Like I knew that enough that I wasn't, oh my gosh, this means I'm getting married tomorrow. But it was like, God, you're saying something because I prayed and I asked you to direct my day. So then the guy, you know, does his thing. He finishes up and then an actual bride comes in (laughs) and he's like, oh my gosh, thank you. And blah, blah, blah. By that time I had told him I wasn't actually getting married at that point. And so he was like, well, I'm going to show you around anyway because, you know, you white one day, blah, blah. So then he goes and pays attention to the other girl. And I'm outside by myself in these huge mountains. It's gorgeous. It's where people get married. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is gorgeous. Like, Lord, what are we doing here? And all of my spiritual things tend to happen when I'm outside and they're very embarrassing. And I don't know why, but I just like fell and I'm on my knees and I'm just like, whoa, God, I feel your presence. Like, what is this about? And before I knew it, I'm grabbing my little smartphone And I'm researching, um, and before I know it, I don't even know what I'm researching. I see this website that talks about how the end times when Jesus comes back for his bride mirrors how the Israelite men would propose and do all of their wedding stuff and how Jesus, our extravagant pursuer, how when he came, he offered the ultimate sacrifice, the bride price, right? And so a groom in old Hebrew history, they would have to offer a crazy high price, a bride price. And so they would have to do a crazy sacrifice to show how serious and and legitimate their intentions were. And so then after the cross, well, the communion of he gave his body and he gave his blood. And so the groom would stand there physically with his body and then he would offer a glass of wine to the girl he was wanting to propose to. And it was her decision at that point to drink of that cup and to say, yes, I want to get married and be engaged or no, I don't want that. I'm good. Thanks. So I'm reading all this and I'm like, oh my gosh. And it's a guy who's like comparing them. So it was like, oh my gosh. So how when we drink of his blood, you know, communion, the mirror of how he went to the cross and he died for us so that we could have that experience with him. And then the groom would leave and he would go and prepare a place. And it was under his parents' authority 
when he could come back and then, you know, marry her. And she had to stay prepared. She had to stay virginal. She had to stay ready. And she wouldn't know when he was going to come back. And then he would come back and he would bring her, right? And they would also, in the wedding ceremony, lift her chair and bring her to him and she would be on the chair, right? So the imagery, how beautiful that Jesus gave us the ultimate sacrifice, the bridal price for our worth much. I mean, that's a lot of worth, right? So anyone of us who's feeling like, I don't know if I'm worthy, I don't know, like, like, no, he gave his own life. Like, that's the bride price. He paid, there's not a higher price. And then poured out his blood. And when I choose to say, yes, Jesus, in communion, I want your blood. I agree. I want you. That's me saying yes to him. Then it says we are given, how we're given a, a ring, you know, when we're engaged. It says we've given the, he's given us the Holy Spirit as the seal unto the day of redemption. That his promise that he will come back for us. He said we will not be put under shame because Holy Spirit will come back for us. And so that we know we have Holy Spirit always in us dwelling like an engagement ring of my man's coming back. (laughs) I may be waiting now. Sure. But my man, he's coming back. He's in love with me. He paid the highest price. I've drank of his wine. I agree that he's going to be my fiance. And now he's gone away to prepare. He doesn't know when he's coming back, but the father does. And at some point he's going to come and collect his bride. And he said she will be without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. So he's beautifying us as we're in the waiting season. So if I could reframe something, a lot of us feel like when we go through the hard stuff, the trials... It's like, oh, God, where are you? Or, God, you're mad at me. Or this is, I didn't have my quiet time today, so obviously this bad thing is happening. Or, you know, I just really haven't been faithful enough in this other area. That's very religious. That's very performance. That's very perfectionism. God is beautifying us because he likes us. Because when I look at that diamond, I'm picturing that the rocks that are covering it are our choices, our thoughts, our behaviors, our actions that aren't becoming, right? Those are my fallenness, my sin nature. But I believe it's not inherent to who I am because all that can't enter into heaven, but yet I'm entering into heaven. So somehow there's a disconnect where God can look at my spirit man and he can go, oh, look at that diamond. Isn't she gorgeous? I like that one. And he does it to every single one of us. The part is by believing it by faith that I apply that word to my life or I go, oh, she was a nice speaker. I'm glad she thinks that. We're all his daughters. So when I come into agreement and I start opening the door to God, this is your truth. This is how I know you, that I am your beloved. I am your favorite, that you are passionately pursuing me. You're beautifying me. God, thank you for this experience because I know that it's going to be something that makes me pure gold at the end of it. It sucks right now, Lord, to be honest, and I tell him that. But it's like he's taking off another rock, another potential thing that's hindering me from shining and radiating and living an abundant life. All those things we lean into that we don't realize we're doing, those are all things that can not be there and we can fall. He's the only thing that I can lean into my beloved, my head on his chest, and he is solid as a rock, and he will not leave me. He will not abandon you. 
He's not going anywhere. He is faithful. He's not like our, you know, parents who might have left us or boyfriends who might have left us or whatever experience in our life. He is steadfast and he is a rock. And when our life is built on that, we have a firm foundation, right? We look good in our heels. We walk around, we do our thing with Jesus, and we have fun. We're in the midst of a storm. Sure, bad things are still going to happen. But if I come into agreement with God, you're doing it because you love me. Or this is allowed. Maybe God didn't do it. Maybe this is allowed to happen because it's going to be something so beautifying for me that's like that little chisel where he's removing another dime or another uh, rock so that my diamond shines that much more beautifully. When I reframe it that way, it's much harder for the enemy to get me disappointed, discouraged, despair, hopeless, down in the dumps, complaining, murmuring, right? Because as the children of Israel, they left Egypt, something that wasn't good for them. God brings them through. My prayer is like that, that water would rush over and whatever access points the enemy had, now we have such clarity and righteous anger to be like, "Uh uh-uh, that door's not open again. No, you're not getting me in that area. Maybe you'll try something else, but that one, that's shut. No more. So that when we come in to the place that God has prepared for us, we are beautiful. We are rejoicing instead of like the Israelites who are murmuring and complaining and wanting the leeks and the garlic back in slavery. Yeah, we had good things in our prior life and our old way of doing things and our old whatever, but those things pale in comparison. Every day I hear people who say choices like, well, I just want to be happy. I'm not going to be with my spouse because God just wants me to be happy. Very happy oriented. I don't know where that's in the gospel. (laughs) That whole pick up your cross thing is a little bit different than happy. But I can tell you, (laughs) but I can tell you that there's a joy that's unquenchable. That in the presence of God, when you know that you're delighted in, when you know your man loves you, that even if you're married to somebody, I do marriage counseling all day, ironically. Um, And I see people who are very dissatisfied in their marriage. But yet they were the same people that are like, if I just get married, if I just get in the relationship, if I just, then I'll be happy. If I just make money, if I just get this next job, if I just, right? We're always looking to that next thing. But as long as it's a horizontal thing, it's still not sturdy, right? That person can have a bad day. That person can die. That person can not be predictable one day. That person can whatever. If my hope subconsciously is in that person or that thing or that promotion or that next paycheck or that next whatever that I'm looking to, I'm not going to be secure and stable, right? I'm always going to have this little leaky hole where, yay, this feels good, God, I love your presence, but yet leak, 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 right? And so one of the verses the Lord showed me is in, um, I believe it's in Numbers, where it talks of, no, it's in Kings, I think, um, Old Testament, um, that idolatry is as witchcraft. And so when I look at Shannon, do you kneel down to graven images? Nope, not recently. Nope. It's not part of my routine. But do you look in the mirror to make sure you're blah, blah, blah? 
Do you make sure you have everyone else's approval and you don't do anything unless you know everyone's going to be okay and they're all going to approve of you? That's, that's an idol, right? That's approval of man instead of approving the Lord, right? That he likes me. And so it's okay that other people are not going to like me because everyone is not always going to like us. And when we get that, it's going to make it so much easier because when you find the ones that don't, you're like, oh, I'm bound to find some that do. <laughs> They're around the corner. <laughs> so that when it's not a shock and it's not breaking my heart every time, God prunes people even sometimes. I've had some best friends. One girl was going to marry this guy. And he was very intense about the end time. So he wanted her to only wear camo and to drive a Jeep. And he was preparing an underground like shelter because apparently he was thinking he was going to live through the end times. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know where you're at with that, but that's, she does not look good in that green. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's not her color. <laughs> and I didn't want to say anything because I'm a sweet, nice friend. But I just felt like the Lord put it on my heart and I had to call her and I was like, friend, I know this is not what you want to hear. Um, but I feel like the Lord's saying, if you marry this guy, you're going to cut off potential for ministry that the Lord has for you. And she was like, uh-huh. Oh, okay. Well, thanks. That's really nice. Uh-huh. Bye. I lost that friendship. But guess who didn't marry that guy? God exposed him. He started calling her mom, all these names and blah, 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 blah. Now that same girl who didn't like me for saying it. Now we're friends, maybe a long time later. But she knew that, you know, in Proverbs it says the wounds of a friend are so much more precious than somebody who's going to tell you what your tickling ears want to hear. And so in order to be a friend, there's some truths I need to tell myself. There's some truths I need to say to my sisters. And there's some truths that I need my sisters to tell me and me not get offended and bristly and, oh, I can't believe she said that. And, you know, because that sweet girlfriend of mine, she turned a lot of friends against me. She's like, Shannon thinks blah, 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 blah. And so that was a really painful experience, right? But it put enough of the fear of the Lord in her to go, I don't know, let me ask you, God. She prayed about it and God answered by exposing him in some stuff that she was like, ooh, I definitely can't marry him now. Now she's married to a great guy and they're doing wonderful things for God. So we do need to be people that can hear feedback when we don't want to hear it, especially. That board of directors are put in our life on purpose, but I can also tell them, I'm not that interested in hearing you, you know? Or I can be like, okay, let me pray about it. It doesn't mean I take every word, you know, like the guy who wants me to go to Africa and be a real missionary and really serve Jesus. That doesn't mean I take every word, but it does mean that I'm teachable and I'm humble enough to go, let me pray about that. Let me seek wise counsel. Let me take time to be still and silent with the Lord and not just rush in emotions either direction. Because all of us are going toward a promised land. And I believe the great cloud of witnesses and God and Jesus and everybody's in heaven and they're like bated breath and they're so excited to see our destinies. I think that they are cheering us on, that they're really excited for us. They're like, golly, she's so cute and I love her and she's beautiful and she's powerful and she can do it and she's anointed and I've given her everything she needs. No, I can't do that. Uh, no, I don't, re I'm not really that. I, oh gosh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to even go to that party because everyone's going to reject me anyway. 
He's like, Pumpkin, I think you're great. Why doesn't my opinion matter? I think you're spectacular. Nah, nah, nah. That person was mean to me that one time, so I'm not going back. How hurtful to Jesus' feelings when as a bridegroom, he's put everything on the line. He's paid the highest price. We've drank of his wine. We've accepted his proposal. We've accepted the engagement ring. You know, when we get saved, we get the Holy Spirit. So we've accepted his engagement ring. We wear it. But then we don't live like beautiful fiancés. We live like just getting in, just barely squeaking in. (laughs) You know, just kind of maybe God's going to give me grace because I'm not really sure. You know, instead of God, your work at the cross is enough. I agree with it. I like you back and I'm excited to please you. I want to do things that make you happy because I know you want what's best for me. If I didn't know that as a little girl, if I didn't have an experience of other people wanting what's best for me, that would make it hard to trust Jesus in that area. So it doesn't mean we come under condemnation like, oh no, I feel so bad. It's just like, hey, that's a holy highlighter of Lord. I'm so excited to know you in this area. I cannot wait to know you as my best friend, as the one that's holding my hand, who's going to come back for me in all glory. You're going to take me to a bridal banquet and you're going to put me in all white and I'm going to feel beautiful and we're going to celebrate because he's a happy God. And this joyful, amazing, handsome Jesus is in heaven, interceding next to the father all the time going, that's my girl. I, I know that she keeps listening to the lies of the enemy, but God, God, just help her know that she's, she's amazing. God, you did such a great job. And did you realize that when we reject parts of us, if we're made in God's image, aren't we kind of rejecting parts of God? And I think a lot of times the parts we most reject are the parts that are part of our destiny. A couple reasons. One, that's usually the area we're tried in most. That's our trial. That's our affliction. So we're like, oh, I don't like that part of myself. But secondly, if I give up and I reject my destiny, if I close the door to that aspect of my personality, whether it's my leadership side or my outgoing side or my, you know, preaching side or my servant side, whatever it is, right? So like, I'll give some examples that like if somebody was really taken advantage of as a kid, they're going to have a really hard time serving, right? I'm never going to let somebody, you know, submitting. I'm never going to submit under I'm not letting anybody have rule me with the thumb on me. That is not happening. That has now impacted and cut off an aspect that's beautiful about them, right? So something that's been taken advantage of and a horrible, sad, bad experience has happened. Now I start shutting doors to even parts of me and I go, "Mm, I don't like that part of me. Or maybe it's a fun, outgoing, happy side, and then kids are mean and they tease you, and it's like, she's a dork or whatever. Then we start going, oh, I'm not going, I'm not, mm -mm. no, people are going to have to invite me if I go, right? Because I'm not putting myself out there, I'm not going through that again. Uh Uh-uh, no. When that happens, I'm now cutting off a legitimate part of who I am. Meaning, I'm not walking in that, I'm not experiencing it, and when God tries to love on me in that area, there's now a door. And he's got his gift basket, he's like, I'm here, I'm ready, I'd love to love you here. 
Some people have, you know, people pleasing, right? Where we want everybody to like us. So we want to please everyone. So it would be a real risk to be bold and to say things that might be hard to hear, right? Meaning you might have a word for yourself or someone else or whatever that may need to be said in love. But now I've cut that part of me off and I'm not taking my leadership in that area. Like how awful would our life be without Debbie Ellis taking her place in leadership? But someone like Debbie Ellis could have said, no, who am I? You know, gosh, no. That's false humility. And that's totally disrespectful to who God has made us to be. Who am I? Um, you're the one that Jesus laid out his whole life for. So you're kind of telling Jesus he picks trashy girls, you know, like you have bad taste. (laughs) Who am I is one of the most insulting questions we could ask. And I've asked it a thousand times. That's why I have permission to point it out. (laughs) That when I say, who am I? It's making it about me instead of saying, God, I am your beloved and you are mine. We will walk into this destiny. We will do it with beauty and with flair. We will do it with courage because great is my God and mighty is his works on my behalf. And we will do it together. Very different than, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I have what it takes. What if they don't like me? You know, I mean, they all have those fancy clothes and I just have this or, you know, I'm kind of a country bumpkin or, you know, I'm just too loud. I'm I'm like a bull in a china closet. Like I just can't get with those girly girls. Like whatever your thing is, those are all aspects of cutting off parts of us that then lead us to not walk in parts of our identity where we're cutting off. It's like leaving a rock where God would love to remove it. So then we shine like that pretty diamond. Does that make sense? Any questions, any comments, anything I can clarify now before I move on? I know I'm putting you on the spot. Instead of the fullness? We want to stay full. And if I notice that I leak easily, then that means there's probably a door and access point inside of me that keeps kind of leaking out, right? So we want new wineskin where all what daddy pours in stays in. So if I notice that my piece is stolen really easily, if I notice that I get really upset or if I notice that you know, one bad news and it's like my world's in a tailspin. If my adrenaline just shoots and now I'm like anxious or I'm angry or I'm whatever, that's a good indication. You might have an access point and it's not my job this weekend, which God had to really reaffirm me. I'm not everyone's therapist. You know, I'm just the person that's going to say, Hey, here's some stuff to follow up with Holy Spirit on. When you notice that, that's a good conversation to be like, Lord, I believe you love me. I believe you answer, you know, my prayers. So help me understand this. So a way that God taught me about unconditional love, and I know my metaphors are totally weird, but that's apparently how he talks to me. Um, I went to go visit my parents after Hawaii, and my brother has this dog. He, we have weighed him. He's a 150-pound Rottweiler. He is ginormous, and he was still a puppy 
at 150 pounds. And if you know anything about precious little puppies, they are all over you. And all their slobber and all their 150-pound weight at you. And so he would always knock me over, and he has these long claws. And he's not mean. He's just happy. He's really excited. So I'd get all clawed, and I'd get dirty, and I'd be like, oh, dog. And I was like trying to have my quiet time outside by the pool, and that's where he lives. And so he would come, and he'd jump, and he'd be all over me. And I'm just like, this dog. And I remember sitting there one day, and he had kind of like fallen asleep like comatose, and he's like drooling. And he's just laying there like total peace, just coma sleep. And it was the weirdest thing. It was like God literally shifted my heart. And I just felt this incredible love for this dog. This dog that I thought was so annoying in behavior, right? Because we're always looking at behavior in ourselves, right? He was too much. He was overwhelming and not enough. He wasn't obedient enough. He wasn't all these things, all the things that I look at myself and I'm like, I'm too much. I'm not enough. I'm blah, 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 blah. And he's laying there like in a coma, not doing anything, not performing, not offering any good service to the world. And yet I felt this overwhelming love that, Shannon, even if you were in a coma, I would love you that I 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 love you. It doesn't matter what you do or perform. You're not earning it to begin with. We were still sinners when he came the first time. We're not earning it now all of a sudden. So when I know that I know that I know that he loves me, it just melted my heart. And I can't help out of the abundance of a full heart to want to please my BFF, to want to do things that make him happy. So now I want to, right? The Pharisees, they did all the good things, all the good behaviors, all the right choices, all the good religious activities, but he said that their heart was far from him, right? How sweet would it be that we just get lovesick and we just let him do his job to melt our heart? In Jeremiah, it talks about how he trades our heart and that we would become his people. That he would trade the heart of stone for a heart of flesh. So everything I'm saying this weekend, my biggest prayer is one, that you don't feel condemned going, I'm not there yet. But that there would be a sense of hope and anticipation like, but I could be. That would be nice. I'd like that a little more. That'd be neat. Good. So if we start coming into agreement with what he's already been saying this whole time, and I start opening the door to that, and I start looking for examples in life, metaphors, times when I feel ooey-gooey and wonderful, and I'm going, Lord, that was from you. By faith, I believe that warm, yummy feeling right there was from you. Everything in life is all a metaphor to help us get to know Christ. That we are getting ready for the biggest banquet, the biggest wedding celebration. We're all being beautified. Like Esther, she had to wait the two years and had to go through all the preparation. We're just being prepared. The trials are not trials in of themselves. The enemy doesn't have loose rein to just do whatever he wants. You're not a victim to your circumstances. It's okay, Lord, what good is this going to bring in my life? There was a situation when I was also in Hawaii um, when I had a very unjust situation. And um, it it was just a really, it shouldn't have happened. It was wrong. It was not okay, blah, blah, work situation. Um, And I was just very like, this is wrong. This should not have happened. And normally I'm like peacemaker, easygoing. But that time in my heart, I was like, 
that is not okay they're treating me like this, you know. I'm the little Christian minority. It's not okay that they're doing X, Y behavior, and this is not okay, right? I didn't say anything, right? I was still sweet and nice. I did my job. I did everything I was supposed to. But he's looking at my heart, right? Who else is looking at my heart? The enemy, right? So if I have legal access somewhere, I'm defending my rights instead of vindication as the Lord's. Thank you, Shannon. I appreciate that open door. Would you like some uh, mood stuff going on? Would you like some, you know, chaos in your work situation? Because it did. He who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. So even though I'm the one minority, it doesn't matter how many of them or how much is going on in chaos land. He who is in me is greater. But when I go into Shannon protect herself mode, I'm not relying on the Lord, meaning I'm actually closing off God's vindication, right? And now I'm opening the door to I'm right, which is kind of like a little haughty. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of nice words I could use for myself. And I do because it doesn't condemn me. It's just like, hey, Lord, that is a rock. And I don't want that there anymore. And so as I continued to hang on to my rights, my work situation got worse. It got worse. It got worse. It got worse. I mean, it was to the point that I was just like, oh, so I listened to a John Bevere teaching and he talked about not defending our rights. I know that because I've been a Christian my whole life, but in my heart, I didn't realize because I wasn't saying anything, you know, I was still being nice and all those things. I didn't realize there was a heart condition that had developed unbeknownst to me. So when I repented and I said, okay, God, I'm going to let you defend me. It's not fair, but you're also beautifying me. So I'm going to come into agreement that there is purpose, even in the unjust circumstance, even in this, you're doing something good and I'll let you take care of them. You can be God in their life and I'll let you be God in my life. When I did just a couple times, my supervisor wanted me to keep mulling it over and talking it. And I was like, no, I've just decided that I'm okay with it, literally. And I can't tell you how. There was just a peace that returned back to my work environment. It was like restored. I mean, we didn't become like soul bosom buddies or anything, but there was this absolute just settling of peace. Because in agreement with God's truth, I shut the door. I'm no longer defending my rights in my heart. Of course, I'm a nice girl. I didn't say that loud, but in my heart I did. So I closed that door, and now I'm opening the door God, that you can bring justice, you can vindicate, you can do it. So by the end of that year, I got to do at a very atheist university, a spiritual symposium where we brought spiritual leaders from around the campus to talk about how diversity includes your spiritual dimension, that part of your faith is part of human functioning. So we should include that in therapy. So that was my project to get to incorporate spirituality and faith into therapy. I was praised and honored and God vindicated me when I shut my heart mouth (laughs) and I finally let him, right? So those are those obedience things that, yes, you can hang on to your rights. Yes, you can do it your way. Absolutely. You can get mad at God for the season that's going on. That's your right. He's going to stand over here. He's like, I love you. I'm still here. I love you. I'm crazy about you. He's not mean. He's not mad. He's not even distant. But if I shut a door and I go, "Mm, I'm doing it my way, not your way, it's going to feel like he's distant, 
right? Because in my heart, in my city, I now closed a door without realizing it. And it's just kind of hard to feel God. So that's where I, hey, Holy Spirit, thanks for your holy highlighter showing me what doors that we can open together. Because when he does it and he vindicates you in a way that's just like, oh my gosh, it's all worth it. I wouldn't trade that year in Hawaii as much as it was a wilderness for me. I would not trade it for anything because I would not be who I am today. So it was hard. It was awful. I would, but it was so worth the process of God removing character stuff that sweet Shannon didn't realize she had blocking her diamond from being able to radiate the way God intended. So some of those ways are in the way we perceive ourself. And mostly what we want to talk about is our self-talk. How am I talking to myself? How am I motivating myself? Do I sound like the kingdom of heaven? Or do I sound more like the accuser of the brethren? No, you didn't do that right. No, you didn't have a long enough quiet time. No. I mean, that car probably broke down because you didn't pray long enough today. I mean, I'm just, did you tithe? I mean, the bad thing happened. So just put it out there. That would be the accuser, right? Out of the abundance of my heart, I want to tithe. I want to give. I want to spend time with the lover of my soul. It just comes out of me as opposed to legalistic, I'm going to do it, I'm going to work it, and I'm going to, you know? And how many of us, we have quiet times that are so by the book and so here it is. And quiet times are awesome. But wouldn't it be fun if we also made them fun and happy? That we can actually enjoy the Lord? Sometimes we approach him as so serious. And so like, okay, Lord, I did my, you know, okay, checklist. Okay, now let's have a good day because I've done everything I'm supposed to. And now you're going to bless my day. We do it subtly all the time. (laughs) So on the other hand, I can be like, Lord, you love me. I agree with the truth of your word. And if I don't know it yet, then I'm going to camp out in scripture. And I'm going to read scripture until it starts to feel true. Something that is new doesn't feel true, right? Because we talked about the brain, how it doesn't have neurochemistry that reacts to that thought yet. But well rehearsed, enough, enough, just like muscle memory. If I do the same, like Dana, if I swim the same muscles, it's automatic. I don't even need to think about it. Thoughts are the same. In my head, I cannot help but say, oh, I love you too. Yeah, you're good. I don't need to even hear or feel anything from him first. I am in such a place of believing that he always likes me that I can't help but live like it's true. And now that means I'm full, meaning I can't help but pour it into others, meaning my relationships are kind of abundant, very different than when I'm critical or harsh or self-consumed or, you know, kind of in a funk or I've got all my stuff going on. My relationships aren't as connected, right? Because I'm not a life source. I'm not pouring in. I'm not this, you know, I'm kind of back here. I'm kind of living life, just, you know, doing my thing. So my job is not to say, oh, bad you. It's, hey, we've all been there. So wouldn't it be fun to camp out on the other side of life and start enjoying being you 
And if there's an aspect of yourself that you don't like, that's the very thing God would love for you to embrace because it's probably part of your destiny. Whatever that is, that's something he's given us that maybe the culture doesn't like or doesn't accept. Whatever that thing is, is probably something you're going to walk into. So for me, as a little one, I was five years old and I would go into, you know, department stores with my mom and I would be talking to the mannequins and having conversations because I thought they were my friends. Like that was part of my identity. It's part of my destiny, right? So you can see where that is today. But as a little girl, I went to some schools where kids would throw stuff, where I would be all by myself. I was really bullied. I had really mean experiences and it made me not want to be outgoing. It made me want to go in right? I had low self-esteem, self-rejection, self-hatred. I was turning against myself and I was saying, accuser the brethren, come on in. <laughs> you want to, you want to have a seat? Like, let's just hang out. Cause this is how I'm going to live my life. God loved me every step, but unknowingly I'd shut a door to the Lord and his truth of what he says. And I opened a door where the enemy had complete reign. I mean, he had At some point, the enemy is just like, yep, she's got it. Those are her automatic thoughts. He moves on to somebody else, and we're still doing his work. He's like, I'm not even there anymore, and I'm still blaming him, going, the enemy's really messing with me today. At some point, we have to recognize this is now an automatic thought that before I know it, I've now created ridges and connections in my brain that this just becomes automatic. This is part of my life now. And if that's part of my life, I can't blame God or Satan because I'm the steward. And so as the mayor, I need to vote myself in with confidence. God, you put me in this family. You put me in this town. You gave me this skin color. You gave me this family. You know, whatever your thing is that you're like, oh, why me? You know, big earlobes. I don't know. Everybody's got a quirk, right? Maybe you have an anointing to hear things. Who knows? But the enemy will try to steal things, but he can only do it if we give him permission. He only has as much authority as we give him. Everything in the spirit realm is very orderly. Even when Satan wanted to mess with Job, he still had to go before the Lord because there's such a covering over our life. And on the other side, most of the time we're blaming the enemy for a lot of stuff in our life. Maybe he had some input, sure. I think where he knows we have an Achilles heel, he'll just go for it. I mean, he's kind of a jerk to begin with, so he goes where we're already weak. But going back to stewarding our life, if I'm already not taking care of my city, if I'm not cultivating relationship and spending time just being aware of how much you love me and you think I'm great, if you don't spend time getting your sleep, getting your exercise, getting quality time with friends and people who love you, if you're not spending time, you know, doing whatever already is good for you, If you're like maxed out, perfectionistic, who has to do everything to the T and you're always overworked and you always have to do everything and blah, 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 you're going to be more tired. You're going to be more easily upset and frustrated and annoyed. You're also going to get easier to be resentful because it feels like I'm doing everything and nobody else is helping. So that resentment can then start to spark up and it's like, yes, another route. Thank you. I appreciate that. Right? So all of this is how am I stewarding my city? My hope is we would have so much righteous anger to go, "Uh uh-uh, not anymore. Every time I fall down, it's like, all right, Lord, we're getting up double. 
I remember one time I was in such a place of despair and despondency. I was so, so low. And I came up from that and I said, okay, God, (laughs) not again. So in my nature, not saying anyone needs to do this, but I went to a strip joint and I prayed outside the strip joint for all their salvations. (laughs) And I was like, "Ah, you messed with me. I'm messing with your kingdom. Because when God talks about us, he talks about us as princesses, but he also talks about us as warriors. So we can't cut off one and just camp in one, right? A princess who always needs God to rescue her, he's going to be like, pumpkin, I need you to start using your legs and walking and using the authority, right? Can't be in spiritual diapers forever, love bug, right? So I remember the time where it was just like, Lord, I just want to... You know, I don't want to step into more stuff. Like, I'm scared. I'm intimidated. I don't want to do that. And he was just like, you can stay here. That's your choice. But I have greater. And so it's like, all right. (laughs) I don't want to. And every time he backs me up. And every time he'll back you up. So we can be princesses and we can be warriors at the same time. We don't have to be ugly when we stand up for ourselves and we stand our ground. But we also don't have to be passive and weak and let people treat us however, right? But in my heart, I know if I start blessing that person who's cursing me, what am I doing? Putting coals on their head. That's right. (laughs) When I start agreeing with what scripture actually says and I start living like it's true, okay, Lord, it is written. Here's your word. And I speak it back to him and I say, all right, you said blah, 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 blah. I'm going to agree with it, which I believe is his love language. Heaven responds very fast to faith. Grumbling, complaining, Israelites tends to take longer. Right? And we stay and then we keep grumbling and we keep complaining and going, oh, God, my kids are, oh, my job. Nobody is doing it. And he's out there and he's like, okay, yeah. And we're just going to keep wandering around that same mountain until we finally pass that test. We cross that river and we come to the point of no return going, no, I'm not living like this anymore. I'm not blaming anybody else. I'm not blaming my family. I'm not blaming my nation. I'm not blaming my ethnicity. I'm not blaming my gender. I'm not blaming whatever is my thing. But I'm crossing over and I'm saying, this is who God says I am. I'm going to live like it's true. And now I'm going to see the spirit of God come behind me and propel me with such favor that the world's going to go, who are you? Because that's who our God is. If we'll agree with what his word says, if we'll just take him at his word and be like, okay, God, here's our scripture today. Let's live like it's true. And we just start practicing it. I think it delights him. It's like if your boyfriend or your husband writes you a long letter and he's like, here, I want signed your beloved. And I'm like, oh, that's nice. Or I read it and I'm like, yeah, but I feel ugly. I feel unworthy. I feel like I'm no good. He just put his heart and soul into that love letter, right? And I'm not believing it. I'm not trusting it. I'm going, yeah, but prove it. Yeah, but I don't see it in my life. (laughs) 
How are we doing on time? Um, so that's my encouragement, is that in our self-talk, we would start becoming aware of how am I talking to myself? What is the narrator in my voice? Right? In therapy, we have an actual model called narrative therapy. It's based on people telling their story as it is, and then you help them rewrite their story where they're the heroine, not like the vein, the leader, <laughs> the leader girl, and they are the leader of their story, and there's beautiful, and there's excitement, and there's great things, and you're empowered, and you're walking into victory, and blah, 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 blah. It's a little bit more my version in the way I just explained it. They would explain it very more psychology-ish. But that's what we want to do, is we want to look back on our lives, and we want to go, okay, I've believed this narration of my life, that this is my lot in life, this is my story. But maybe God would like to give us a new perspective, like a different angle on the lens of maybe that was hard, but maybe that was positioning you like Joseph. I mean, yay, favorite son, wonderful, oh, this is amazing, and now I'm in slavery. You know? He could have cursed God and died. He could have said, woe is me, poor me, bad things always happen to me. Oh, where are you now, God? Where'd that dream go now, huh? That was real nice. I put my neck out there. I said what I thought God told me, and I now look like an idiot. I have egg on my face. He could have gotten bitter. He could have gotten resentful. All kinds of things can happen when we go through trial adversity, which is really our preparation to walking into our destiny. So when I change the frame and I go, well, maybe I'm not the victim or the slave or the whatever that my life situation says. Maybe I'm this beautiful bride that's being prepared. I'm engaged. And he's doing this because something good is going to be revealed. Because maybe there's a part of my character that's going to be removed. So then I can live in another level of freedom and just peace. Oh, and I get rest and I get good nights of sleep. Oh, that would be nice, right? Just quality of life. And when you're living in a quality of life and you're always full, the abundance draws people to you. The abundance makes your relationship that much fuller because I'm not looking to them to need, right? I'm not going into codependent relationships because I'm good. I'm doing my thing. And I love you, and I love, you know, being there and celebrating you, and this is great, love our friendship, but I don't need you. If you don't call me back, it doesn't, oh, gosh, you know? I don't have these unrealistic expectations with others that they need to always be there. They need to always, or our kids or grandkids need to always be there for us, right? That, that I live in fullness, and I'm ecstatic to have relationships, but I'm not in a need of them. Right? Because daddy is enough. He likes me. I agree with what he says. So my self-talk comes into that agreement. Now I live like it's true. Now my abundance, my quality of life goes higher. And faith just draws the presence of God. Strategic alignment, favor, doors are opened. Stuff that we can't even imagine. All this crazy stuff the Lord will do if we'll just fall in love with him and let him love us, because when I do that, that's my first step, just being lovesick, 
is that out of the abundance comes a really cool city, a real quality of life, a desire to want to take care of my city, to not cut it or be mean to it, but to be nice to it, to get it some exercise, to get it some rest when it needs it, to go shopping when it needs it, you know, whatever your body needs to take care of yourself. So then when life happens, storms happen, you have a stronger foundation. We're not just reacting and, oh, my gosh, the bad thing happened. It's like, it's okay. I'm steady. It's not easy. And we need our sisters. We need people to hold our arms up. Absolutely. But it doesn't capsize my boat. Because I'm already in a place of kind of structuring, taking authority, not all control and not under control, but a place of co-ruling and reigning where we've got this, Lord. I don't know how, but we will do this. That's all.